All right, everyone, welcome back to Politics Weekly. Uh, this week, we have a special guest or a loomer. Uh, he is the mayor of Miramar, Florida, and right now he is seeking the Democratic nomination uh, for President of the United States, Mayor Wayne Messam. Constitutional duty to do his job of oversight, um, and it's... Uh... Because... Uh, we need, we need our representatives to start speaking out about this. Well, uh, today our guest is, uh, Vermin Street. Hello, Vermin, are you there? Some of the hottest guests from all over the political spectrum, all on one podcast. Politics Weekly, a podcast on politics, news, and principles. New episodes every Tuesday on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms. With Trump now seeking re-election. Keep America great. And a crowded field of Democrats running against him. It's a crime. We have to be an America that is clear about what we want to do. One political party hopes to beat all the odds and shock the crowds. The fact is we've become a party where we think it's not just okay but necessary to go around worshiping the military. Former Libertarian National Committee Vice Chair Arvind Vora hopes to make a comeback in the parties. I've seen firsthand the corruption, the abuse, and the human error of our criminal justice system. New Hampshire State Lawmaker Max Abramson hopes to take his legislative record to the White House. The United States represents one of all the people in the world in this great nation. So how is it we only have two political parties representing them? Businesswoman Soraya Foz hopes to get her name out to the party. Let me figure out how I can get you to accept the fact that taxation is separate. An activist, Dan Berman, hopes his hardline message can win over grassroots voters. It's the 2020 Libertarian Presidential Debate, presented by Politics Weekly. Four candidates from America's largest third party will face off for the nomination in a game-changing election on a platform of liberty and non-intervention. Okay, everyone, welcome to the 2020 Libertarian Presidential Debate presented by Politics uh, Weekly. Tonight, we have uh, four candidates uh, seeking the Libertarian line for the presidency. Uh, with me tonight, uh, former uh, vice chair of the Libertarian National Committee, Arvind Vora, uh, uh, New Hampshire State Representative Max Abramson, uh, businesswoman Soraya Foz, and activist Dan Berman. Uh, so here's how the uh, rules tonight uh, will go. Uh, you will each be given 60 seconds uh, to respond to a question. Um, if you wish to respond to an answer... Uh, from uh, another candidate, you may request 30 seconds to do so, and if a candidate uh, attacks or mentions you in their response, uh, you will automatically be given uh, 30 seconds uh, to respond uh, to said candidate. Um, the first question is for all the candidates, but we'll go around, we'll give people individual time to answer the question, and we'll go around in alphabetical order based on last name for the first question, and that question is, why do you want to be president? And we'll start with Representative Abramson. Why do you want to be president, Representative Abramson? Just to bring the troops home from the Middle East. 
there are a lot of other problems that I've heard about uh, over the years as a, a representative rising, of course, rising healthcare costs, college costs, uh, childcare costs, housing costs, other issues and concerns that people bring up. But for me, what drives me to get out on the campaign trail and put in all the time and effort to do fundraising and get the websites up and social media uh, activism is, is having our troops in the Middle East who are being put into harm's way and the civilians who are being injured and killed as a result of the uh, needless and ongoing wars that uh, we don't need to be involved in. All right. Uh, now we'll go to Mr. Berman. Mr. Berman, uh, why do you want to be president? Um, honestly, I don't. But uh, the, the problem is everybody who wants to be seems to want to go around and take all of our freedoms away, take all of our money away, take all of our assets away. And uh, I don't see too many people out there trying to do anything about it. So this is the reason that I'm standing up and making sure that um, everybody knows taxation is theft and that the government does not steal from us and does not treat us like we are government property. We are not government property. We are free. This is a, supposed to be a free country and we need to start acting like it. So I want to lead people into um, this new era of freedom. Uh, okay. Uh, and we'll go to Ms. Foss now. Ms. Foss, why do you want to be president? To be honest, it's because I've noticed that no matter who gets elected, nothing changes in any political party. The people are working for their own special interests, uh, the corporations, and they're really not putting America first and the American people. And we really need to regain uh, the essence of what it is to be an American. And I feel I can be able to foster that peace and unity overall. And again, there's a lot to be done. It's like, where do you begin? It's the everyday life that we're living and the way how we see that it's affecting us. And it's not going to go any better unless somebody steps in and can really make a difference. And I'm hoping to be able to do that. All right, then. Uh, so, uh, Let's go to the questions. Uh, Nolan, do I get in answer this question? Oh, sorry. I forgot about that. You're right. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Mr. Uh, Chairman Vora, uh, why do you want to be president? Uh, thanks for the question, Nolan, and thank you for hosting this. I'm running for president to end the welfare state and end the income tax. On my first day, I plan to pardon Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, Ross Ulbricht, all nonviolent drug users, all nonviolent drug sellers, all nonviolent drug kingpins, anyone who's in jail just for a firearms possession charge or a Bitcoin charge. And I want to end welfare, not just at home, but I want to end it abroad. I want to end all foreign aid. I want to leave NATO, shut down foreign military bases, stop any involvement in foreign civil wars and bring the troops home. I want to downsize, dismantle, defund all federal programs, cut taxes to basically to nothing or basically nothing and shut down all government intrusion in our lives. Uh, one thing I encourage people to do is while you're waiting for, for me to become a partner in chief, become one in your own right. And if you're on a jury and it's a nonsense crime, just say not guilty. All right. And with that, we're going to go to the questions and we're going to start uh, with Mr. Berman. Uh, Mr. Berman, your campaign has taken a hardline stance against taxation uh, to a point where you've dubbed yourself Dan Taxation is Theft Berman. Are there any uh, instances in your mind in which taxation is necessary? And if not, uh, what do you believe are alternatives to uh, provide basic services such as uh, schools and roads? So... Uh, great question. I'm glad you framed it like that um, because we, you know, the, the common response to taxation is theft is, but it's necessary. Necessity does not counter whether or not it's theft. Some people can argue that theft is necessary. That doesn't mean it's not theft. Um, it's a criminal act. We need to get away from it. Whether or not it's necessary is not really the question. If we can look at, at tax as theft, we can start moving towards a society that doesn't require it. If we accept it as some form of thing that's just always there and always will be, we won't even ask questions like how can we fund roads and police and schools and everything without it. Now, at the federal level, which is where I'm going to be addressing taxes the most as president, um, that's not really going to affect schools and roads and things. These are mostly local taxes. However, um, I would like to lead local governments to stop taxing their people to pay for these things and pay for them by some sort of 
voluntary means. And there are plenty of voluntary means. Um, uh, and I, I don't want to get too much into detail because there are a million different things there. You know, that's like kind of saying, how will corporations in America raise money? There's a million corporations that sell a million different products and services, and they all have a different way to market and sell that service. Um, and that's, that's how we need to look at government there. We can't just say there's one way that's going to raise the money. All right. Uh, and Holy, can I respond to what Dan just said? Uh, yes, you have. Uh, you've got thirty seconds uh, on the clock, starting now. Uh, as many of you know, I agree with Dan that taxation is theft, uh, but I think it's a lot simpler than figuring out some elaborate way and how we're going to pay for things. Most of these things you can pay for directly. I believe in ending government schools. And to end government schools, I mean, if you want to find a way to fund government schools, the people who use them can pay for them and the people who don't use them cannot pay for them. It's the same model as private schools, the same model as private restaurants. I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel here. This is something that has already been solved. All right. And if and with that, uh, we have to move on to the next question. Uh, so the next question is for uh, Chairman Vora. Uh, so, Mr. Vora, there was uh, a bit of controversy um, over some remarks you made. You said uh, you called uh, pr uh, public schools, quote, welfare for the middle class. Uh, you said U.S. veterans were paid killers and uh, that uh, public school teachers uh, were, uh, uh, you called public school teachers supervisors of indoctrination camps. Do you regret making those statements or do you stand by what you said? For the most part, I stand exactly by what I said. So when it comes to government schools, they are welfare for the middle class. It's money taken by force without consent for people who don't need it. Listen, I disagree with food stamps and Medicaid as well, but at least I can kind of see the logic to it. The idea that somebody who's, who's middle class or upper middle class should be able to take money from their neighbors by force to pay for their childcare is absurd. In terms of our public school teachers, supervisor of indoctrination camps, yes, look at the history books. Look at how badly the information is edited and expurgated to create a bias towards statism. There is tons of indoctrination in public schools. And yes, they are supervising those indoctrination camps. Homeschooling, private schooling, free market education, these are, those, that's the future of great, excellent American education. As for the military, our foreign policy has become a policy of murder. Joining that foreign policy is wrong. And if you are considering enlisting right now, I'm going to ask you to do, do this. Reconsider. Do something else. And if you're already stuck in there, there are so many ways you can get a conscientious objector discharge. It's not, dis it's not a dishonorable discharge. And you can free yourself from an immoral and backwards foreign policy. All right. Well, with that, we got to move on. So the next question is for Ms. Foss. Uh, Ms. Foss, when you ran for uh, Congress last year, uh, the Miami Herald reported that you called Vladimir Putin and Bashar al-Assad, quote, heroes. Uh, do you regret using that terminology or do you stand by that? No, at all. I don't regret it. To be honest, uh, President Trump ran a whole co campaign in 2016 saying that he wanted to combat terrorism. And what did he do? He's actually negotiating weapon deals with Saudi Arabia, which is the, the leading cause of this ideology, the Wahhabism, that has spread throughout the Middle East. So if you have people um, within Syria, such as the president himself and uh, Putin, who came in to fight the terrorists and the terrorism that is going on, uh, the people that are fleeing, in essence, are not necessarily refugees. They are the terrorists themselves, the extremists. Because why else would they want to leave unless they're not happy with the way things are? They're suppressing the terrorists. They basically clean them out. And as fast as they're able to clean them out, we notice how other countries, including the United States, unfortunately, and this current administration and past administration, nothing has changed, have been funding um, not just the weapons, but even the training for these uh, terrorists. And it's really sad to see how this is happening because it, in essence, it's like, who are we fighting? You know, they're painting this sort of um, issue that they want to play. And every single time they change the name of the different terrorist groups to kind of like color it to their liking. But the reality is we're not helping to, 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 to defend um, the terrorism and the ideology and to clean out all this um, 
issues that we're having in the Middle East, but you have the Assad and Putin took that initiative and they did just that and they're continuing doing it every single day. So yes, they are heroes when it comes to the fight of terrorism. I don't think anybody can deny that. Okay, well, we got to move on. Uh, so the next question is for Representative uh, Abramson. Uh, in the New Hampshire State Legislature, there was a bill uh, that would prohibit uh, the use of public funds uh, for abortion. Uh, you voted nay on that bill. Why? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, in the New Hampshire State Legislature, there was a bill uh, that would prohibit uh, the use of public funds for abortion. Uh, you voted nay on that. Why? Um well, the, the way that uh, I, I've always voted no on taxpayer funding of abortion. I've always voted no on taxpayer funding uh, subsidies to any organization uh, just on principle. Uh, the way that legislation works in uh, New Hampshire is bills come out with either an ought to pass recommendation or an ITL recommendation. And so frequently something comes out with an ITL recommendation, meaning inexpedient to legislate. And that's we're not voting on the bill. We're voting on the uh, motion by the committee that so the committee will say itl and we'll have to if you support the idea you vote no and if you oppose the idea if you oppose the bill then you vote yes in favor of the committee's motion for itl i i, I get asked that a lot um but i don't believe i've ever uh voted for taxpayer funding of abortion and i certainly don't support taxpayer funding of abortion all right uh so the next question uh is for everyone uh, and this question is, uh, as uh, you know, there can only be uh, one person who can be the Libertarian nominee for president. That may be someone here tonight. It may also not be someone here tonight. It could even be someone who has not entered the race for president yet. Uh, do you, as candidates, pledge to support the Libertarian nominee, whoever... Uh, he or she may be. And we'll start with Chairman Vora. Do you pledge to support the Libertarian nominee regardless of who he or she may be? The best thing about no longer being on the Libertarian National Committee is I don't have to do that anymore. I lost track of how many times when Johnson Weld were running that I had to say, well, what Governor Weld really meant was this. If we get another Bill Weld, uh, we get, you know, someone like Gary Johnson is talking about the fair tax and will not speak about ending the drug war and will not speak about ending the welfare state and insists, dishonestly insists that libertarians believe in a social safety net. Then, no, I will absolutely not support that. I will support any candidate of any party that is the most about cutting government, whether that's a libertarian, which is what I would predict, or a Republican or a Democrat or a Green or an independent. I will support whoever will cut taxes, cut welfare the most, whoever will bring the troops home the fastest, whoever will end the drug war the quickest. That's who I'm going to support. I absolutely do not pledge any kind of party loyalty of any kind. All right. Uh, and with that, uh, we are going to move on to uh, Ms. Foss. Uh, Ms. Foss, do you pledge to support the Libertarian nominee regardless of who he or she may be? Ms. Foss? Hello? Yes. Uh, hello. Sorry, uh, I lost you for a second. That's okay. Uh, the question is, do you pledge to support the Libertarian nominee regardless of who he or she may be? I think as a party, we do have to support the candidate. Um, and I feel that the majority of the Libertarians are going to choose the nominee, already taking into consideration all these different types of you know, the, our platform as a, as a libertarian party and all the issues that are important to us and what it is we want to realize. Um, I think it's a conscientious decision at the end of the day, you know, for, for everybody. It goes back to what it is that they represent. So I, I do feel, you know, yes, I would support. I would support and I feel everybody else should too as a libertarian. All right. Uh, and now we're going to go to Mr. Abramson, uh, Representative Abramson. Representative Abramson, uh, do you pledge to support the Libertarian nominee for president regardless of who he or she may be? You have one minute on the clock. No, um, I actually have to agree with Arvin on this. I used to vote for every single Libertarian, you know, from the top of the ticket to the bottom. 
Um, I'm one of the, I guess they're just told there are 25,000 regular libertarian donors. I'm one of them. I've donated to dozens and dozens of libertarian campaigns and campaigned for a lot of libertarian candidates over the last 20 some odd years, um, starting with Harry Brown and, and continuing on. Um, there have been a couple of individuals who've won the nomination uh, for Congress or for uh, president who were neocons or favored interventionist, aggressive foreign policy, or made completely dishonest remarks about other candidates during the campaign. Um, full-on social Democrats, people who favored big government, the libertarian nominee for governor, and, and uh, I'm not going to point anyone out, but they favored a lot of business tax increases to pay for a lot of uh, expanded social spending. Um, and that just confused and angered a lot of people. And, and that individual, of course, didn't do very well in the election because she was running on a, a tax and spend agenda. There are some uh, candidates uh, they would have to support the Dallas Accord and they would have to favor uh, less government. OK, we got to move on to Mr. Berman. Uh, Mr. Berman, uh, would do you pledge to support the libertarian nominee for president, regardless of who he or she may be? You have one minute on the clock. Um, I'm not going to blindly pledge that. I will say that if the person that is nominated is someone who at least I can agree with 90%, then yes, I would support them, but I'm not going to blindly support them. It would be hypocritical of me to do that. Um, I'm always telling whether it's Trump supporters, whether it's Democrat supporters, don't just blindly, don't just blindly pledge your allegiance to a party because all, all that has to happen is somebody that you really don't agree with has to put on that color and say, hey, I'm going to run as a Democrat, I'm going to run as a Republican, and you have to vote for me because you blindly support this party. Um, it's it's really it's really idiotic to do that. And I think too many people are not paying attention enough to politics to be able to see and say, hey, this person does not stand for what I believe in, even though they're wearing my party colors. Um, and we need to get away from that. We need to understand who we're actually voting for and what we're supporting. Otherwise, we're going to keep getting the same thing that we're getting now, which is a system that we don't like, a government that has a really, really low approval rate. Okay. Can I, can I please respond? Uh, like, yeah, you have... I do want to wait second. Okay, you have 30 seconds, Ms. Foss, on the clock now. Okay, I think it's a response to a question, a question at the same time for everybody. But... Isn't that then we're doing the same thing as everybody else is doing? Shouldn't we be working together, you know, coming together as one, giving them our ideas, trying to work on whoever this nominee is to strengthen them and to push the party as a whole? At the end of the day, you know, we are representing the Libertarian Party by not supporting the nominee. Uh, that's the same thing as any other political party is doing right now. All right. And we got to uh, we have to move on right now. Uh, so uh, the next uh, question uh, we have uh, here is uh, for uh, Representative uh, Abramson. Uh, Representative Abramson, you've been a libertarian uh, on and off. You've gone back and forth between being a Republican and a libertarian. How can members of the Libertarian Party or Libertarian voters uh, feel assured uh, that this time uh, you're you're completely in it as a libertarian. Well, I've been a Libertarian Party member, a dues-paying party member since 2000. I actually joined the Libertarian Party in 1996. I didn't. Uh, it wasn't until I sat down and talked with people uh, in the Libertarian Party of Washington that they they said, "Oh, by the way, we pay dues. We didn't see your uh, name on the membership list." And I thought, "Dues? Uh oh." So ever since about 2000, I've been paying dues to national or state parties. Uh, attending conventions, doing um, uh, outreach tables, manning tables, uh, running as a candidate, helping other campaigns. Um, I've been doing, of course, ballot access almost every year. Uh, almost everyone who works in ballot access, not only in uh, New Hampshire, but a lot of the other libertarians in New England know me as the, a, guy, a guy who does ballot access work. And I've gathered thousands of signatures and delivered thousands of signatures. Uh, it's not a matter of uh, changing parties. It's I've been a libertarian, you know, my entire adult life, uh, ever since I saw, of course, Republicans expanding government, which is increasing spending, which they continue to do. Um, but a number of libertarians, including Arvin, said, you know, if you want to run, if you want to win, go just go run as a Republican or Democrat. And I kind of took offense to that, but I, um, I did see that we were going to lose ballot access again in 2018. Um, and I wanted to vote for other libertarians who unfortunately were also running as Republicans. 
um, in the September primary and the way that New Hampshire's ballot access rules work, um, you really, if you know you're going to lose your party registration uh, anyway uh, in a few months, it didn't make sense to hold on to my libertarian registration until it burned out um, and then lose the opportunity to support libertarians in the we're running in the Republican primary in New Hampshire. Okay, well, we got to move on uh, to the uh, next. Nolan, since I was mentioned, can I respond? Oh, right, yes. You uh, you have 30 seconds to respond on the clock now. I firmly believe that it just doesn't matter what party somebody's a part of. I do believe that somebody's politics matter a lot, their principles. That's why in the past I've supported people like Congressman Ron Paul. Even though he's a Republican, his principles are far stronger than actually many big L libertarians. I just simply don't think it really makes any difference what your party is. It matters what your principles are. All right. Uh, and uh, we got to move on uh, to the, ne the next question uh, with that. Uh, and we are going to go to Ms. Foss. Uh, Ms. Foss, last year you called for the resignation of President Donald Trump over ha over his handling of the war in Syria. Considering his voting record, do you believe a President Pence would be better than what we have now? That a President Pence would be any better? Well, the, the question is, la yeah, last year you said um, you would like Donald Trump to I resign. Said, yes. Yeah. The reason, the reason why I said it is because it's not, it was for that specific incident in which he took his daughter's word and he believed the same fake news that he's been going around telling everybody that was going on. He didn't have any viable sources or anything to prove what was going on in Syria at the time. And he bombed, um, we bombed civilian neighborhoods and different locations without any proof. And later on, it turned out that the Syrian government was right, the evidence was there, and nobody was taking a look at it this whole time. And that same evidence is actually stored in files for I don't know how many years in a vault. And it's, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I had the privilege of attending the General Assembly of the United Nations in that year, uh, the first presidential candidate to be invited. And to be honest with you, I got to see Samantha Powers at the time, and I see Nikki Haley do the same thing, walk out whenever the Syrian government officials are trying to provide all this evidence in support to prove that the terrorism is going we, on there is being um, orchestrated. And they didn't even look into it. So imagine, what kind of president are you that's not taking a look at the evidence before you put our soldiers at risk and our tax-paying dollars, which we shouldn't even be doing. Well, we got, we got to move on to the next uh, question. So the next question uh, is for uh, Chairman Vora. Uh, so Chairman Vora, uh, you've been very adamant in your uh, support for the uh, abolishment uh, of all uh, public schools. Um, you even said at the beginning uh, of your podcast that you are at the beginning of this debate, uh, you said uh, that you believe uh, that public schools should be voluntarily uh, funded. Um, if a um, if someone if there aren't enough people in a small community uh, to voluntarily fund uh, the costs of a public school, uh, and a private school is too expensive for one family to send their child to, uh, what uh, do we as a society do? Are we supposed to uh, leave that person in the dark, or is there another solution in your, in your opinion? Uh, thanks for that question. By the way, I was actually the vice chair, never the chairman. But when it comes to this actual question, the simplest, the cheapest, the most effective form of education is not classroom-based education. As an educator myself, I don't believe in classroom-based education. It is not a good method. It has no individualization. It basically puts people in a prison-type setting. So if a small community is unable to fund a public school and can't afford a private school, I say great, because the education in that community is going to be better than anywhere else. The key thing that we need to realize is homeschooling has proven itself to be one of the most effective, if not the most effective form of education that is happening on a large scale in the United States right now. And I would encourage those families to look into homeschooling. 
you don't need to be able to teach every single subject to do homeschooling. You simply need to be able to help your child choose the best method of teaching online. There's so many things that are free online methods of education that are vastly superior to the kind of nonsense that's happening in, in public schools and also in government regulated private schools. So yes, I would absolutely say we, we as a society don't know them anything, but the free market has already given them free options. Okay, well we gotta move on. Uh, to uh, the next question, uh, and uh, the next uh, question is for Mr. Berman. Uh, now, uh, Mr. Berman, uh, your platform states that you would support further utilizing the Tenth Amendment to the Bill of Rights, uh, uh, which uh, uh, indicates that uh, 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 that laws, uh, not uh, rights, not mentioned. Uh, in the Constitution must be left to the state and local government. Uh, with that being said, uh, would uh, you support allowing states to decide the legality of their own drug laws? You have one minute on the clock, starting now. That's a, that's a great question, because uh, personally I feel that every individual has a right to decide what goes into their own body. Um, no government should be able to tell them whether or not they have that right, uh, whether state or local or federal. Um, so the, the first thing we need to do is we need to say, look, we have all these federal agencies that we need to get rid of, um, the DEA in particular, uh, because at, uh, absolutely the federal government doesn't have that right. Um, when we look at some of the other uh, amendments like the Ninth Amendment and what was said in the Declaration of Independence that says we have the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, I think that pretty well covers that a state doesn't even have the right to um, to regulate what you put into your own body if you're not harming another person. And we really need to we really need to have everyone understand and accept this because the reality is if 99% of the people want their state to regulate something like that, there is going to be a very silent minority that is not going to have their voice heard and not going to have their rights respected. So we need to get everybody to understand that they need to respect each other's rights. Okay, we got to move on. Uh, so uh, the, it looks like uh, the next question is for everyone. Uh, and this is based on uh, the topic of abortion. Uh, so recently, um, uh, with the passage uh, of more restrictive abortion laws uh, in places like Alabama and Georgia, uh, abortion has been uh, a bigger topic uh, on more people's minds recently. Uh, and it's been an especially uh, divisive uh, topic amongst libertarians. Now, the Libertarian Party platform in 2018 uh, states, quote, recognizing that abortion is a sensitive issue that people uh, can hold good faith views on all sides. We believe that the government uh, should be kept out of the matter, leaving the question to each person uh, for their uh, conscientious consideration. Uh, but many prominent libertarians, such as Ron Paul, have taken pro-life positions. Uh, do you agree uh, with the Libertarian Party's platform? Why or why not? And we're going to start with Ms. Foss. Do you agree with the Libertarian Party's platform on abortion? Why or why not? You have one minute on the clock. Well, I've always said that the, the country was founded on freedoms and freedoms of choice. Now, as an educator, we need to educate people so that they can take a conscientious decision for them to know the consequences and what it is that they're doing. At the same time, we need to consider and accept the fact that, um, you know, why is it when a heart stops beating, you're declared dead and you're not declared alive when the heart stops beating, starts beating? So there's a lot of issues, but the one thing that I feel that we really need to do is that we shouldn't be funding any of this. I, I oppose it completely, and I feel that we should defund Planned Parenthood and actually fund different community health centers instead on a local level to help educate these teenagers and realize that abortion is not a type of contraception. And we should really include these children, um, because for me, um, life begins at conception, and I am pro-life, but I cannot force my views on others. And um, we need to have it protected under the 14th Amendment. All right. Uh, well, we're, we have to move on, and we are going to move on now to Mr. Berman. Uh, Mr. Berman, do you agree with the Libertarian Party's uh, position on abortion? You have one minute on the clock starting now. 
Um, I mean, I think this is a really difficult situation. Um, I can see that there are people who do have those good faith arguments on both sides. Um, I don't think I know a single person who in their right mind can say that murder is good. Um, and I, but I can also see that people uh, who are pro-abortion don't want to be controlled by government regulations, and I can completely sympathize with that as well. Um, what we need to understand is that these two arg arguments are not complete opposites. Um, and so when we have this discussion, we need to realize there's a lot more to take into account, whether that, you know, um, as to whether or not this argument goes one way or the other, because that's not how these two arguments are framed. So I think it's really important to understand this. Um, and it's really important to, to um, see, as Soraya said, you know, if, if we focused a lot on education and preventing unwanted pregnancies that, that are going to be aborted and terminated, um, we can solve a lot of the problem that way better than trying to come up with some, some government plan to ban and, and, and create a black market for it. All right. Well, we got to move on and we're going to go to Representative Abramson. Representative Abramson, do you agree with the Libertarian Party's position on abortion? You have one minute on the clock starting now. No, I believe that the platform's not only completely wrong, but it, it's contrary to what libertarianism is about or classical liberalism. Uh, the idea is that government exists to protect life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness from the first heartbeat to the last. And in fact, uh, online polling shows that about 29% of self-identified libertarians are, are pro-life, about 20% are somewhere in the middle, and only about 51% of self-identified libertarians are 100% pro-choice. So it, 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 it's not an issue that defines us. Uh, my position, of course, is that I'm uh, pro-adoption. I believe that adoption has to be available uh, to the couple as an, as an option. If it's not a viable option, that, that the state has to stay out of it. Um, I definitely oppose taxpayer funding of abortion or Planned Parenthood, but I believe that the new medical and scientific evidence shows that at, at eight weeks, uh, babies can feel pain. They respond to when they put the needle in the baby's foot, they pull their foot back. At 10 weeks, they dream, they respond to sound, uh, and there's, there's no question that the baby is alive at that point. And as Ron Paul used to say, uh, we can't as a society break our our society up into different classes and provide one level of protection for one group of people and a different level of protection for for others it's once your heartbeat is started once you can feel pain once you can experience life once you can respond to sound that you're a living human being and you well, uh, you're entitled to live we, we got to move on uh representative uh sorry uh vice chairman vora uh, do you agree with the Libertarian Party's uh, position and platform on abortion? Why or why not? You have one minute on the clock starting now. I don't. Be, I mean, starting with the preamble, the preamble is an absurdity. Every political issue is sensitive, and you can have good faith opinions on many sides of almost every political issue. So right there, we start to see obfuscation. My position on abortion is this. Killing is wrong. Abortion is wrong. Do I believe the state should be involved? No, because the state is incompetent at literally everything it touches. If the state's involved in preventing abortions, there's gonna be more abortions. Just like when you have the state involved in education, you get worse education. I do not believe you have a moral right to kill a viable human ever. There are situations if somebody, if you've been impregnated against your will and the fetus is not viable, in other words, it can't survive outside of the, outside of the mother, I do believe you have the right to at, to vacate the fetus. I don't think it should be plan A. I would advise against it in the same way that if somebody's trying to steal your wallet. You have the right to shoot them, but I still wouldn't say that should be what you should do. Just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's not a good idea. And so I stand against abortion. I think it's wrong. And I certainly oppose all government funding for any kind of abortion. Well, we got to move on uh, to uh, the the next question. Uh, so the next uh, question uh, is uh, for um, uh, the next question is for uh, Representative Abramson, and that question is: uh, Many of your opponents here in the studio uh, self-identify as anarchists. Uh, in the past, you've indicated support for minimal uh, government-provided services. Uh, do you, sir, identify as an anarchist? Uh, and you have uh, one uh, minute on the clock starting now. No, I'm not an anarchist. I just believe in decentralized government and user fees. Of course, if you absolutely decentralize everything and then you get everything down to the local level and then you pay for every service through user fees, 
you end up with a, a really, really minimal government. But I think as a as an interim first step, what I've been talking about is, you know, follow the Dallas Accord, get back to constitutionally limited government, a very, very small type of uh, federal government like what the founding fathers intended, and then uh, not only balance the budget, but do away with the middle class tax burden, do away with the, ta the tax burden on middle class households. Um, we said back in 1974, and, and this has been part of the party for the almost the entire life of the party, that the Libertarian Party, to use a, a movie analogy, this DeLorean only goes back to good old 1955, before the war on drugs, before the war on crime, before the war on terror, before government started getting into schools and healthcare and everything else. Um, if once we get back to constitutionally limited government, if there are some no government types who want to go and form another political party for the purpose of, of going back to 1885 or going back to 1785 when there was no federal government at all, then they have an absolute right to do so. But it doesn't make sense for us to continuously fight between minimal government and no government types and, and constantly disagree um, when we have a libertarian party whose purpose well, is. I think just to get back to the Constitution. We, we, we got to move on. Uh, so uh, the next question, we're going to give the next question to uh, uh, Chairman Vora. Uh, you came under fire when you suggested the legal age of consent should be lowered to 14 years old. Uh, do you uh, regret that position uh, or do you uh, stand by that? Or do you want to clarify your comments on what you meant by that? I actually didn't specify lowering it to any particular age. I just don't think the government should be involved in it at all. I don't think the government should be involved in education. I don't think it should be involved in sex. I don't think it should be involved in regulating what people do with their own bodies, whether through drugs or through sex. And when it comes to age of consent, I simply don't think the government is competent to do it. We can see the incompetence of government because it's different ages in different states. Clearly, they themselves have admitted there's no logical fact of the matter. To me, adulthood is not based on age. It is based on what you do. If you are 14 or 13 or 12 and you have a house and a job and an income and you want to have kids, by all means, go ahead. And if you're 30 years old and you don't have an income and you don't have a way to support your kids, don't have kids and don't have risky sex. That can lead to kids because the single biggest consequence of sex is not sex. The biggest consequence of sex is kids. And today we have people who are not able to financially or psychologically support kids dumping them on the system. So to me, adulthood is based on doing adult things. It is not based on how old you are. Okay, well, we got to move on. Uh, we're going to move to Mr. Berman. Uh, Mr. Berman, uh, you said in your campaign announcement video that you feel for those who have, who, who have real needs such as health care. Do you believe there is a way to make health care more affordable without government intervention? You have one minute on the clock starting now. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if you look, uh, if you look hard enough, you'll see that government is actually the reason healthcare is so expensive in the first place. So, um, what I said in that video was that I can sympathize with people who are typically preyed on by the Democrats, and they're told, "Hey, we're going to give you, you know, this healthcare. We're going to, we're going to give you all kinds of plans. It's going to make your life so much better." But the reality is, these people are pushing plans that are going to create more taxes. They're going to create more welfare state. They're going to create more dependency, and they're ultimately going to make your life more, more miserable. Um, what, what what happens when we get the government out of this is we see that healthcare costs start to fall so low as we've seen in so many other countries where government largely stays out of regulating healthcare. Um, the the cost of healthcare gets down so low that you don't need insurance to buy it. Poor people in India are are able to buy insulin and other basic uh, medical necessities for much cheaper than you can buy in the United States without insurance. And it's not like these uh, medicines are of any lower quality there because they don't have the regulations. That's not it at all. Um, these these companies self-regulate by their by their own reputations. And if we had that in the U.S. and if we we're able to even import from other countries certain drugs that we're not allowed to import, we would see a dramatic decrease in the cost of health care in this country. OK, well, we have to move on. Uh, can I do a follow up to Matt to uh, Dan's comment there? Uh, yes, you have 30 seconds, Mr. Vora or Chairman Vora on the clock now. At the current time, the best doctors in Switzerland, in India, in Korea, and Japan are literally not allowed to practice medicine in America. Those are the types of laws that drive the cost of medicine sky high because it restricts the number of skilled doctors and increases the price. 
it's not about quality because in America, even nurse practitioners can practice medicine, which I think is great. But the idea that the best doctor in Switzerland cannot practice and the least skilled nurse practitioner can is absurd. We need to end those kinds of laws. Okay. Uh, so the next uh, question is uh, for uh, Ms. Foz. Uh, Ms. Foz, uh, when do you uh, think is the appropriate time to declare war on another country? Uh, you have one minute on the clock starting now. Ms. Foz? I don't think we should be declaring war on any country. I feel that we should be concentrating on our own country. We have a lot of issues going on right now within the United States, and we're supposed to be setting an example for others as like a big brother or sister. And if we can't fix our own issues from within, how are we supposed to go declaring war on anybody and under what pretense? The only reason I would see a viable is if it's going to be a threat to us, our security. But even before that, I think that we have to negotiate and try to find solutions where we will not be putting, again, our children's lives at risk, fighting wars that aren't even ours, just for the ego and self-interest of all these big players, whether it's oil, unfortunately, or these big corporations. Uh, all right. Uh, well, we got to move on now. Uh, so the next uh, question uh, is for, uh, let's see, it's for everyone, and the question is, um, uh, one topic on the minds of a lot of, uh, of people in the country right now is the environment. Uh, some scientists predict that they think the Earth could be uninhabitable in 10 years. Do you believe there is, uh, any way to deal with the problem of climate change, uh, without government intervention? Uh, and we're going to start, uh, with uh, Mr. Vora on this question, or Chairman Vora on this question. Chairman Vora, you have one minute uh, to answer the question on the clock now. What protects the environment in pri is private property. The existence of public lands basically means you have lands that no one cares about, that no one owns, and that people are more than happy to see damage done. When the Audubon Society allowed drilling on its privately held land, it did so safely. Whereas when the government allowed BP to drill on public land, it was done unsafely because nobody owns that land. I believe in ending all publicly owned land, the U.S. should sell off every single bit of land that it has uh, and sell it either as property or as sovereignty. Uh, the biggest polluter in the world is the U.S. federal government. Sorry, the biggest polluter in the country is the U.S. federal government. Government pollutes more than pri the private sector every single time. You can look at other examples. Compare Hong Kong to China. Hong Kong, because it's a little bit more capitalistic, has so much less pollution. In fact, today, the biggest cause of, of, of solid, of partic particulate air pollution in Hong Kong is the stuff that floats over, that drifts over from China. We need more private property, less government. That's how you protect the environment. Uh, okay, we're going to go to Ms. Foss now. Ms. Foss, uh, do you believe that there are any ways of dealing with the uh, issue of climate change uh, without government intervention? You have one minute on the clock starting now. I think, again, it goes back to educating people. If we start with the children bringing back all these different uh, concepts of conservation, and um, it starts within the home more than anything else. And um, we have a lot of different programs and a lot of different organizations, private organizations who, who do different rallies and, for, you know, cleanups, with, whether it's the rivers or um, the beach cleanups and things like that. That's where it starts. Again, the root and the solution to everything is educating people on the different topics and issues. And it could be done collectively. Um, overall, the government involvement would be, you know, if they were able to continue with it, is not supporting all these big corporations and the waste that's coming out of uh, the manufacturers. You know, that's where the regulation comes in. Uh, okay, uh, and uh, next we are going to go to Mr. Berman. Uh, Mr. Berman, do you think uh, that there is uh, any way to combat climate change uh, without uh, the use of government intervention? You have one minute on the clock starting now. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, government intervention is one of the reasons that we have so much 
pollution in this country. Um, we can look at all of the innovation that we have um, as far as um, as far as hemp-based plastics, hemp-based energy, hemp-based oils um, that are all uh, either illegal or very, very difficult uh, to produce in this country because of the war on drugs and, and all kinds of other regulations. Um, and then we have thorium, which is a really clean nuclear energy alternative um, that we're not developing because government is subsidizing all kinds of other um, dirty energy um, producing uh, uh, plans that they have. So we need to we need to get government out of this and allow people to innovate and create and move forward with these other plans that are going to create cleaner energy and and less pollution. Because ultimately, the consumers know, like everybody wants to live in a clean world. Nobody wants this pollution. And the consumers are willing to vote with their dollars on companies that are selling them um, cleaner products that are not that are not polluting and not leaving plastic all over the place. So this is not something we need government to come along with with force and say, you need to comply with this or go to jail. Okay, uh, we uh, are going to ask Representative Abramson this question. Now, Representative Abramson, uh, do you believe there is any way for the government uh, or do you believe uh, there is any way to combat the issue of climate change without government intervention? You have one minute on the clock starting now. Yes, and in fact, there are already, uh, <coughs> excuse me, private inventors and entrepreneurs who are already developing alternative fuels, alternative energies, uh, alternative engines, and alternative means of transportation, whether it's private van pole service, Uber, Lyft, or some of the other, uh, some of the private uh, mass transit options that people are coming up with that, that transit unions, by the way, are trying to ban. Um, in fact, a libertarian solution for as long as I've been in the party or one that's been mentioned at different state conventions is just removing all the artificial obstacles and regulatory barriers and even patent filing fees for the development of alternative fuels like Smart Fuel, which is a company in my district, uh, which uh, supplies uh, biodiesel, uh, remove the uh, regulatory obstacles to the development of alternative engines, alternative energies uh, like geothermal, solar, uh, and tidal power. And those are the kinds of technologies that we need to develop, not just for the United States market, but for the rest of the world. China now consumes more energy than we do. India soon will consume more energy than we do. The European Union in a few years will be me if they continue growing as they are, consume more energy uh, than we do. So it's not a matter of just cutting down uh, pollution and emissions ourselves. I think that we need to, as a country, take a leadership role and uh, develop the technologies that uh, the world is going to need in the 21st century. Okay, well, we are going to move on uh, to the next uh, question, uh, and that question uh, is for uh, Mr. Berman. Uh, Mr. Berman, recently the federal death penalty uh, was, introduced, was reintroduced for death row inmates. Would you support uh, the death penalty uh, for convicted child rapists or murderers, or is it always wrong in all circumstances? Look, I can completely agree that there are people in this world who are just evil and should not live on this planet with us. But at the same time, government is so, so corrupt and, and terribly disorganized that we have so many cases of people being sent to prison and sent to uh, sentenced to death for crimes that they didn't commit. Sometimes we find out decades later, sometimes we find out after they've already been executed. Um, the, the government it has such a bad track record at this, and we can never be that sure. Um, even if we have confessions of somebody doing things, sometimes we're, we find out that these confessions were, were obtained in the wrong way, and they were just false confessions that people used to either help a friend out or or because they thought things would be worse if they didn't confess. Um, you know, we, we can't let the government go around killing people, especially when the government has such a bad system for determining who's even the right person that, to kill. All right. Uh, well, we're going to move on to uh, Ms. Uh, no, we're going to move on to uh, representative. No, we're going to Sorry. <laughs> we're moving on to uh, Chairman Vora. So Chairman Vora, uh, you've talked about uh, how you believe uh, the government uh, shouldn't be involved uh, in uh, the legal age of consent, and you've talked about how they shouldn't be involved uh, in the process of abortion. Um, now, many libertarians uh, believe in the non-aggression principle, uh, which states that uh, it is uh, wrong 
to uh, use uh, inherent force against another individual. Do you think uh, the state uh, has a responsibility uh, to ensure that people do not uh, violate the non-aggression principle, uh, or do you believe that, uh, or do you believe otherwise? Uh, you have one minute on the clock starting now. The state should not exist in the first place. And so, no, I don't believe the state has that responsibility. It has the responsibility to get out of the way. That said, I do believe that private organizations will and realistically should provide that, that kind of security. You know, if you go to a private restaurant, a private mall, a private airport, you expect certain levels of safety. I'm not talking about TSA safety. I'm saying you're, you expect certain levels of safety provided by that organization. If you go into a, somebody's house, you expect a certain level of safety. And that can be provided, and it is actually already effectively provided by the free market. So I believe in private security. I believe in community-based security. To use an example of how much better the free market is at protecting people, consider what it's like when you have a dispute with a business today through an organization like Amazon.com. You have a dispute. You don't need to resort to violence. You don't even need to resort to a court. You just pick up what the issue is from a drop-down menu, and you get a refund. That's how the free market handles things like that better, more efficiently, and through vastly different paradigms. Okay, uh, the next question we have here is for uh, Ms. Uh, Foz. Uh, you've attacked uh, social media for censoring politicians uh, like Tulsi Gabbard uh, and refusing to verify people like yourself. Uh, many have argued the solution uh, is, uh, an, uh, is an Internet Bill of Rights uh, that would... Uh, give uh, all so uh, social media users uh, certain rights to post um, their political opinions and that uh, uh, social media providers uh, would be uh, required by law uh, to, uh, to, in to abide by these laws. Would you be in support of that? Uh, you have one minute to respond. I'm sorry, do you mind repeating the last part? If, if I'm support of the Bill of Rights, that, well, many people, many people uh, have uh, have uh, supported the idea of an Internet Bill of Rights, uh, which would uh, give Internet uh, or social media users uh, certain rights to post uh, whatever they wish on so or to post a certain amount of things. Uh, on social media, or to post their political opinions on social media, and that uh, social media providers uh, would be uh, required by law to respect uh, whatever political opinions they post. Uh, many people support that. Do you support that? I mean, I don't think it should be any different than our existing rights. There shouldn't have to be something that's recreated or redone. It's our freedom of speech. If this is my Facebook page and I want to be able to write something or comment on something, I shouldn't be censored to use it. Now, if that's the policy of the, pla the platform of that certain uh, social media outlet, and I am well aware of that, I cannot really fight for it. Do you understand what I mean? So that there's no real clear definition. And what I've noticed is that these big corporations, um, what they're doing is that they're putting in their political influences. And again, as I mentioned in that interview, and I continue to say, a lot of them are working uh, intertwined with the CIA and with the Pentagon and whatnot to push for this culture change and for these different, you know, again, they're, they're moving public opinion and that's what's wrong. They're trying to manipulate us using these different sources and, and what is it that people are um, are accustomed to their daily, you know, whether it's advertisements, whether it's, you know, uh, it's just way too many influences are um, brainwashing, I didn't really want to use that word, per se, these people to think that, you know, this is a particular way we should be thinking and this is a particular way that we should be doing things. And it's creating more divisions and a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, how do I say, hatred among people instead of bringing about, you know, the peace and the unity. It's creating more problems among people. Because um, 
it's kind of like saying this particular group has a right to say something and the other group doesn't. You know, where does where is this going to end? Well, we we got them. It's not just about a bill of rights for the internet. It has to be it has to be clear for everybody. It's either you do or you don't. Well, we got to move on. Uh, so the next question right now is for uh, Representative uh, Abramson. Uh, so Representative Abramson, uh, you uh, supported. Uh, a bill uh, that uh, would require law enforcement officers to, cr- uh, to carry firearms uh, on schools or on school property. As your party is generally anti-law enforcement, uh, do you trust law enforcement uh, to uh, be uh, armed with uh, more uh, guns on school properties? Well, I'm not sure what bill that was. I certainly wouldn't uh, vote to require that an officer carry a gun on school grounds. Um, The Libertarian Party isn't and never has been anti-cop. It's that we've been pro-police accountability. So I've supported and sponsored and co-sponsored bills to require things like uh, dash cams and body cams. I've done citizens petitions for dash cams and for police commissions and uh, other police accountability measures. And uh, of course, I'm back in the news again because uh, there was a particular officer who has a, uh, uh, I've been told, has a serious drug problem. Um, and uh, uh, those, those issues are important. I've always said that the 90% of good cops shouldn't have to suffer for the actions of bad cops. Uh, as far as police officers going on to uh, school grounds, I think you either, we either trust our emergency responders or we don't. If you don't trust an emergency responder to bring weapons onto school grounds or out into a public park or a public area, then they shouldn't be a police officer in the first place. Okay. Uh, that we need to have higher standards for our police and we need to maintain accountability. And it's something that as elected officials, I would hope that all libertarians would do is maintain that high standard. Okay. Well, we got to move on. Uh, we are now going to go to closing uh, statements. Uh, each of you will be given uh, one minute uh, to uh, give a closing statement. Uh, and we're going to start with uh, Chairman Vora. Chairman Vora, you have one minute to deliver a closing statement. Today, our government has become our enemy. It steals our money and uses it for immoral purposes overseas. And it is incumbent on us as Americans, as patriots, as heroes, to do whatever we can to stop that. I'm running for president to fight against the government. I'll take on the role of partner in chief, pardon all nonviolent, non crimes to make sure that people who shouldn't be in prison are let free. But I need you to do the same. If you're on a jury and it's a nonsense, non crime, just say not guilty and drag that out. The longer you waste time in a trial, the less money the government can take in. If you're considering joining the military, don't join private security, do something else. Don't give your life and, and blood for an immoral and killing foreign policy. If you're considering joining the police, don't do that either. Join private security or find something else to do. It's important for all of us. If you're a scientist, don't work for the Department of Defense. Find something good to do with yourself. There's so much good in all of us, and let's use that against the government. Let's weaken it. Let's shut it down. Let's defund and dismantle it. And my website is votebora.com. Okay. Uh, the next, next we're going to go to uh, Ms. Foz. Ms. Foz, you have one minute uh, to deliver a closing statement on the clock right now. Ms. Foss? I really feel, yes. Hello? Yes, hello. Okay, I love Okay, yes. I truly feel that, you know, at the end of the day, as a libertarian, we need to work together to be able to... Um, move on within our differences, try to find unity and to try to bring on more people to join the party as a whole. We have 52% of the Americans identify themselves as independents. If we can be able to appeal to them, bring everybody in to join the party, we can then become a majority because everybody's tired of the two-party system. And if you vote for me, the only thing I can promise you is that I will be the voice of the voiceless a reasonable candidate who is looking to do change, working together and trying to find solutions, common sense solutions. And I I truly feel that whoever the nominee is going to be for the Libertarian Party has to be somebody who has um, ideas and puts principles above politics. 
Okay, uh, and uh, next we're going to go to Mr. Bergman, or Mr. Berman. Mr. Berman, you have one minute to deliver a closing statement starting now. Uh, so I'm Dan Taxationist Theft Berman. You can look for me with the big yellow hat, and you can check out my website, uh, behrman2020.com. Um, I really do believe that taxation is theft and that not only is it just the government stealing from every American, but it's creating a system where we all have to come become dependent on government. It's creating a system of, of slavery and poverty and dependency. Uh, these are all created by government, and government we always have politicians standing up saying, hey, we have solutions that are going to make your life better, but they'll never stand up and say, hey, we're the people who screwed up your life in the first place. And we really need to consider that. And we really need to look that, you know, if we want to move forward, if we want to improve our lives, we need to get away from this dependency structure that the government has created. And we need to stop relying on a system that demands that we pay for things that we don't want. Most people in America don't want to drop bombs on the other side of the world, but we have no option because if we refuse to pay, we're threatened that men will come to our homes and take all that we own and maybe throw us in prison. That's not what a free country looks like. We shouldn't be living in this type of system. We really need to start looking at alternative ways to have very uh, prosperous lives without depending on government to steal from one person and give to another. All right. Um, and uh, finally, we're going to go to Representative uh, Abramson. Uh, Representative Abramson, you have one minute to uh, deliver a closing statement starting now www.maxabramson.org is my website and we'll have the donation page up pretty soon but you can uh, donate now with Bitcoin or with uh, PayPal. Uh, I believe that uh, it's a mistake to say that we're as libertarians are fiscally conservative, socially liberal. That's not correct. We're for less government and foreign policy, less government on social issues and less government on economics. We're for getting government out of healthcare, out of your life, out of your personal affairs, out of your bedroom, out of your your, your phone, your email, your healthcare decisions, your school decisions, your personal life. Uh, but I'm talking about tactical voting. Uh, when I talk to other libertarian groups, uh, there are 14 entrenched safe blue wall Democrat states and there are 20 safe Republican states. And once people realize that they live in either a safe Democrat state or a safe Republican state, that they're much more likely to vote third party and they're much more likely to vote libertarian. But I think that the presidential campaign needs to focus on helping all those down-ticket congressional and legislative candidates because there are also 170 entrenched Republican House districts and there are 170 entrenched Democrat House districts. And we could be flipping both using tactical voting. In other words, if you're a Republican living in a city that always goes Democrat every single year, if we run a really active campaign, then we can give those voters a, a, an alternative to entrenched one-party politics and flip some of those seats they won't go from Democrat to Republican, but they could go Democrat to Libertarian with a lot of campaigning. And likewise, there are a lot of districts that are currently entrenched Republican that could go from Democrat to Libertarian. And we can get a few people into the House of Representatives and get a lot of people elected to our state legislators. Uh, in Canada, it's called strategic voting, um, but, it, but it's uh, something that's used in other first-past-the-post countries. And we need to uh, start at the beginning of the year, January and February, almost a year before the election, to start getting that that process rolling if you want a realistic chance of winning some of these uh, U.S. House seats. Okay, uh, well, that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you to everyone uh, for, uh, to, for, uh, for listening. Uh, thank you to all the candidates uh, for uh, participating uh, in tonight's debate. Uh, if you are interested in any of the ideas uh, or anything that the candidates said, you can go look them up. Um, I know some of them mentioned uh, where they could be found uh, uh, in their websites. Uh, thank you all for listening to the Libertarian 2020 presidential debate presented by Politics Weekly. Thank you and good night. Don't miss our reaction to the second round of Democratic National Debates coming Friday, August 9th on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more.